Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the programme that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr Denise Quinlan and today we're talking about building mental fitness in the classroom. One of the challenges in working with people on well-being is finding the right language. For teenage boys and for many workplaces, the language of well-being, happiness, meaning and positive emotions doesn't cut it. Stop with the fluffy stuff is just one of the comments we've heard. In contrast, when you talk about building mental fitness, suddenly a lot more people are interested in working on their resilience and well-being. Our colleagues Joe Mitchell and Paula Robinson in Australia have both successfully used mental fitness with Australian footy teams and their supporters, with boys' schools and workplaces. So we're very curious about what difference this language makes. My guest today is Adrian Buckingham. Adrian's a classroom teacher who relishes the challenge of helping teenage boys become more resilient and better equipped to deal with the challenges they encounter. As well as being an experienced classroom teacher, Adrian has a diploma in positive psychology and well-being, is very experienced in pastoral care, and as well as being a great teacher of English and drama. Kia ora, Adrian. We are delighted to have you with us. Welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. Thank you so much for having me. Good to have you here. Now, before we start, a... Um, Rumour has it that you have had quite a a significant accolade at your school recently. Oh, well, I I have, I guess. Um, I was gifted the foundation scholarship um, at the end of last year. And so the Old Boys Society raises money to help fund fund projects in the school. And I won a scholarship to search uh, what I could do in well-being for teenage boys. So that's actually what kicked off this whole project. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, so let's get in and talk a bit. You know, I know I am going to just remind people that actually I know Adrian's had another accolade recently as well. Um, In addition to having developed this fantastic work we're going to talk about today, um, last week, Adrian was one of only two teachers that are selected to join the senior prefects from her school at a special celebratory end of year dinner. The senior prefects choose the two teachers who have been really significantly important and helpful to the prefect body over the year. And Adrian was one of two teachers selected at her boys' school to be at that dinner. So well done. Oh, it was a huge privilege to be asked to sit at their table and um, and celebrate what, what they've achieved over the last five years because um, it, it's such a privilege to be part of those young men growing up. And I think it reflects the the respect they have for you and, and I'm sure the good work that you've been doing with them too. So well done. Oh, thank you. So look, let's get started and think about um, your mental fitness program that you've been running with teenage boys at Otago Boys High School. So first of all, what is mental fitness and what have you been doing? <laughs> 
Well, Mental Fitness is a year 10 course that uh, the acronym is MENFIT, so that's what it shows on the timetable. Um, and that was very purposely chosen because we thought it would make it more attractive to the boys. Uh, we run 20 hours um, over a term at the moment, and the boys choose to take it. So alongside of French and food and drama, they can opt into Mental Fitness. So we spend the 20 hours looking at evidence-based strategies. We keep it really practical because the boys don't want to be told about um, how the brain works. They just want to make it work better. Um, and, and boys love, especially in a day where they're, they're sitting around, love the opportunity to get up and get out of the classroom and move around and, and do the things that improve their mental fitness, not just talk about the things. That okay. So that it's, for, for, it's, it's deliberately designed to be really practically focused. Absolutely. And, yeah. Mm. And what inspired you to, what made you want to teach the program? What inspired you to do this? I love teaching English, and one of the things I love about English is, is the opportunity to talk about the human experience. And we get to do that more and more as, as the boys get into more advanced literature. But I was also a teacher who, uh, for better and for worse, students came to to talk about um, the challenges of humanity. And uh, despite having a background in psychology, I didn't feel I had the skill set to really help. I, I didn't know what I was doing. So um, I thought that I would seek out the strategies that could only benefit um, and couldn't harm. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I had that skill set to, to help buoy the boys, yeah. really. Um, because I think everyone just needs a bit of a cheerleader in their corner sometimes. Mm -hmm. So this is, it started there and, and officially the school had a lot of faith in me and has allowed me to, to get in as early as possible with those boys and, and give them those skills. And tell us what you, what do you do with the boys in these programs? Uh, well, every day we do a mindfulness activity, um, which can range from sitting outside in the sun to guided meditation. Um, it doesn't suit everybody, so we, we just have a go at it. Um, and, and we try lots of different things they can do outside of the classroom as well. We work on growth mindset. We learn how to juggle over the course of the term and spend five minutes a day. Um, and it's really important to have that low stakes learning opportunity for the boys. Uh, it doesn't matter whether or not they learn how to juggle. And I tell them that straight out from the beginning. And it gives them the opportunity to look at what it means to learn and what it means to drop the ball and make mistakes and how you pick it up again and you mm -hmm. just keep going. When there's no performance aspect attached yeah. that's never going to be written on their report card they're never going to be told that they didn't achieve juggling and i think it's really an important training ground to think about learning for them what a great opportunity mm. to to actually sit and exp and look at the process of learning as a student I think it's so important because I think as teachers, we, we think about it all the time. Yeah. But they just sort of show up and they're there for the ride. They, they show up because they're told to. They don't understand the theory of learning. So for them to get to know themselves as learners and, well, how do you talk to yourself when you drop the ball? What, is that an actually useful thing? And if you drop the ball, what do you do? You pick it up. Well, when you drop the ball in maths class, what do you do next? Um, talking about that is, is pretty powerful. It's also a great opportunity to go outside. Mm. And what kind of conversations do you have with the boys around the juggling? Like what kind of insights or learning have they got about their own learning? Well, I think one of my favorite activities uh, 
that I've noticed, and this was brought to my attention by, by a person who does similar teaching, was when a boy is uncomfortable, the first thing he does is throw the ball at somebody else. And that, that's a great conversation to have to say, well, why did you just throw that ball at him? Um, I mean, yes, it was funny. But also, <coughs> what, what did you gain from that? Why mm. are you doing that? And why did you choose somebody who has mastered this step? And actually breaking down those interactions is, is really good fun. Um, sometimes the boys are really excited about learning and have those great attitudes and love the fact that they've made progress. And sometimes uh, they, they just go, I don't know, and leave it at that. But it's all, all worth thinking about whether or not they're saying it out loud. Yeah, it's, it's actually the whole thing is out there for discussion around where we feel stuck, where we feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I, I think giving that space for reflection where they're not being told off is really important as well <laughs> for the wrong learning behavior. Yeah, mm. yeah. Or just it actually just allows them to really reflect on what works for them and what doesn't work. And yeah, and that there is discomfort. I love the idea of the learning pit. You know, we talk about that when we're learning anything, there's starting off and it's all kind of nice and there's all possibility but that before we get to where we're going and we know what we're doing we've got to descend into the learning pit which is mucky and swampy and snake infested and messy and and really grapple there with not knowing how to do something and i think we have so many 14 year old boys that just don't want to go into the pit so they never never descend into it or get stuck in the pit and then don't realize they can get out on the other side yeah yeah, so that, that's a great metaphor. And so what other things are you doing? So there's mindfulness and the juggling. Yeah, um, one of the most favorite activities from the boys is, is savoring activities. So we take about 15 minutes to eat a single favorite chocolate, and they can choose which one they want. And they draw it, and they smell it, and they take their time to really sort of lovingly engage with their chocolate before they devour it. And that that's a lot of fun. We also do a lot of group activities, um, building building projects. Uh, I think it's a pretty well-known activity now, but the Tower of Spaghetti and Marshmallow, oh, nice. um, which is just good fun. We use that um, to talk about the positivity ratio, but when you're interacting in a team, it's amazing when you, you – listen to people's conversation we record them while they're while they're building the tower and you can listen to the conversations of the teams that were quite successful and the teams that weren't successful and and talk about how actually being supportive of one another rather than pointing out each other's mistakes actually helps us move forward and and find success what a great practical activity it's really fun um mostly the boys are attracted to the food but we sneak in the theory behind it i love it because um what adrian's referring to in terms of positivity ratios uh kind of comes from some work that was done by marcel Lasado with um business units of a major um commercial organization um and i think it was rio tinto zinc actually and and they looked at the different business units and they recorded them doing their business planning and then realized afterwards, after they followed them over a year, that the most successful ones were the ones that had a higher ratio of um, positive to negative comments and, and discussion when they were doing that. But what a brilliant, practical way of getting them to live it and experience it. Well, I think there's so much focus uh, in in the society we live in, but also in education that, you know, we're competitive and uh, my success is at your not success. That didn't sound right. Yeah. Uh, but 
And I think this idea that actually when we work together, when we support each other, that one person's learning enables another person's yeah, learning. It's that not we don't zero, have to push them down. It's not yeah. a zero-sum game. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Lovely. Mm-hmm. And um, when I'm just curious about the kind of the arc of change over mm. the 20 hours of this course. When the, when the boys arrive, what do they typically know about well-being when they start? Well, when I ask about well-being or when I ask about what it takes for a brain or body to work really well, they're so knowledgeable about sleep and food and water and exercise. And that's where it stops. Mm. Uh, when I ask, can you name some feelings, we get through sad, mad, glad. Um, and I go, well, can you name an emotion that doesn't rhyme with sad? And they hit a wall. Uh, so it's great opportunity to develop the language to actually know that we're capable of more emotions than just being glad and sad and yeah, mad. Yeah. And and those subtleties, are that that's a really interesting arc to watch with the boys being able to walk in the classroom and say, you know, I feel proud today. Nice. Because I think uh, we really shut down language around emotion, um, particularly for boys. Yeah. Which doesn't mean they don't want it. And I think, you know, this is, this is, they're, they're part of a bigger picture. Um, where, you know, I know Lucy Hone has done work around looking at well-being literacy in adults Mm. and found that 70% of adults were like the boys you describe, we, you know, we know about eat, sleep, move, but our um, our own strategies around psychological well-being and our insight into how we can develop our own psychological well-being uh, tends to be much less. So the fact that you are growing their understanding of and capabilities around psychological well-being is is really important. Well, I just wish I had that at that age. I think when I was 14 or 15, I knew that exercise made me feel good. And I knew that hanging out with my friends is something I wanted to do all the time. And those are two great well-being strategies, but I didn't know that that's what they were. And I didn't know that there were more options. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to be able to offer that. So is that one of the things um, that's, that's been important for you with mental fitness that that you're talking about let's expand our repertoire of strategies absolutely just saying there's there's lots of things you can do but sometimes you can't collimate sometimes you can't uh, go out and run around on the sports field for an hour I think um, sports injuries is a huge setback in terms of psychological well-being we talk about it as a physical um, challenge but it's actually a huge emotional challenge yeah. particularly for people who who love their sport and that's you know very true. So have all of the boys that have been on your program expanded their repertoire of strategies? Well, they most of them had never just sat to breathe before. So I think that mindfulness activity is definitely an introduction that they hadn't considered before. But actually, just being able to identify things that they already do that are well-being strategies that they could do more of, not just because they're fun, but because it'll help them optimize their brain is really an appealing message. Mm. Mm. Now, I know that you talked about having um, brainstorm pages. Mm. Tell us a bit about those. Well, we have brainstormed a range of things. So if we sit down, um, I mean, it's one of the great the great teaching strategies to tell me what you know, and then we'll go with it. Uh, we watched, um, there's a great YouTube video called The Most Satisfying Videos. So on the brainstorm page, they had to just, after the 10 minutes of watching, and they were captivated, just draw what you saw. And so we had boys drawing um, kinetic sand. We had boys with uh, sports cars that they found really attractive. So just just drawing the stuff that made them feel good. Other 
types of brainstorming we've done is what's good, what do you need for a brain to work really well? And generally, when we begin, it, it is the eat and sleep and have a drink of water and do some exercise. And at the end of the week, they can go, oh, well, box breathing is really good for, for my brain. Um, making eye contact when somebody asks how I am, that's good for my brain. And they, they end up having a lot more strategies. And they teach each other in the brainstorm, which is so important. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. So just seeing seeing that somebody else has a strategy I've never heard of and going, oh, that works for them. That sounds kind of cool. That's exactly right. And it is those boys that are really comfortable at school, that are comfortable with learning, that um, have no fear about being part of the choir and playing football and trying hard in classrooms. Those are the students that have the most well-being strategies to begin with. And it's, I mean, it's anecdotal at the moment, but it it's really powerful for the boys to see those you know, high achievers talk mm-hmm. about what they do to look after themselves. And that it's not magic. There are strategies I can follow too. Yeah, they didn't just get lucky. Nice, nice, that they're actually doing some useful stuff. Yeah, and you and I can do it too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's a lovely, make that lovely message. Mm. Now, you mentioned data and feedback. And I know that this is a course that's been popular with the boys and growing in popularity. So tell me a bit about the growth in popularity and what that's going to mean for next year. Well, when we started it, it was just an experiment. We had two hours a week and and boys could take it if they wanted to. And we started with 24 in term one and 26 in term two. And then it was 29. And now I think we're up to 31. So word's getting out. The boys are enjoying it. They're telling their mates and they're going, yeah, we're coming along for this. Um, and next year, there's a change uh, in that it won't be 20 hours. It will be 60 hours over the course of half a year. So I think that's phenomenal in terms of the school's commitment to well-being. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm looking forward to, one, having to triple the course content, but also have those relationships with students that that last longer than 10 weeks, because I think that's where so much change can happen. So presumably, the school has been really happy with the feedback. So um, in order to, to say, yes, we're increasing our commitment to this next year. So tell us a bit more about the the data and the and the feedback on the program, because I know that you measured well-being over the course of the program. So tell us a bit about what you measured and what you found. Yeah, we started using the AWE, the Assessment of Wellbeing in Education, um, last year before the course existed. So we'd already been tracking whole school well-being. And we don't get the individual data, we get the population data, but we can see how the year nines are, the year tens, right up to year 13. Um, And we've also, so we measure three times a year, at the start of the year, in the middle of the year, when we know everybody's well-being takes a hit. And then at the end of the year, just before the seniors go on exams. And it's been really fascinating to watch each of the four groups, because I've tagged out those groups, and to see them progress. And during the first measurement, if they've just started the course, uh, their their overall report of happiness takes a bit of a hit. They kind of go, oh, I don't know if I'm as happy as I thought I was. But um, in the long term, sort of a few weeks after that, so sort of about five weeks in, they report higher levels of happiness, higher levels of resilience, um, the general awe score it goes up, and that sustains um, to the end of the course, but also beyond the course. So it's been really interesting to watch those groups. Uh, it's only the first year that we've been doing it, so it'll be fascinating to see how long the effects last. Really, really encouraging results. Mm. Yeah. And actually that, that, that little dip at the start is something that, um, 
we've observed in other places as well. And it's exactly what you described, that I haven't thought about happiness before, so I presumed everything was rosy in the garden, and I'm just starting to learn about it and realising that there might be more to this than I thought, and maybe I don't know at all, and there's a little... A little dip. Yeah, it's kind of like when I went to the gym for the first time after a decade, I was like, oh, I'm pretty fit. And then I went and saw a personal trainer. I was like, well, I could probably work on this and this and this. I was like, <laughs> so not Olympic level quite at the moment. Not mm, today, okay. but we can get there. Not yet. <laughs> not yet, definitely. So in addition to the um, the 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 quantitative feedback. I know you've also had feedback from the boys and their parents. What's been some of the most meaningful feedback for you? Oh, that is the most meaningful feedback is when the boys come talk to me when they're feeling brave enough, but also the written feedback. Um, In one of the reflection surveys, one of the boys wrote that because of the course, he knew he could ignore the angry voice in the back of his head that told him to shut up and he should just carry on. And I just thought that was huge and that that's a win um, if he is feeling more confident and more comfortable with himself and mm-hmm. can throw himself into any area without that doubt, then that's a phenomenal use of that 20 hours with that student. Absolutely. Another boy uh, suggested that his father might like to take the course, that his, his dad would really benefit. And I thought that was pretty profound. Actually. Oh, yeah. And it's just gorgeous to see how students want to help their families. Yeah, that's so true. They take the strategies away and they do share them. Another mother got in touch to say that uh, her son had been fairly certain that mental fitness hadn't been doing anything at first. And then he came home from a rugby game and he just went, you know, I used to just think about everything I'd done wrong. And now all I can think is how much fun I had and how much I enjoyed it and how I want to play again. And for, for that family, that's a huge win. Yeah, absolutely. These are, I mean, this is the lovely thing about changes, changes in well-being, that one small change has a ripple effect. Um, it sets us up for more well-being, but it also ripples out onto the people around us. And I think that's the huge thing. I mean, I was so excited to to bring this to my students, but I didn't even think about how they would then be changing their classrooms and their communities. And, and that's families. quite exciting. Yeah. Most interestingly, though, we asked the boys what they thought about the program. Here's a selection of their comments. So when have you used any of the skills you learned outside of class? Uh, probably the breathing, when, when we practice our breathing uh, at Kabaka, when we go, go hard, handy at Haka, and we, get, we stop and take a minute to breathe, and that, learning that from mental fitness actually helps me quite a bit improve. It's kind of taught me to like clear my head and breathe more when I'm in class instead of like slouching down, set up more straight kind of thing. And as Johnny said, box breathing, that helps out a lot. Do you think it's changing your behavior or your outcomes in other areas? Yeah, I think it's kind of like made me realize that schoolwork's not all that bad and just to knuckle down and do it. Probably the juggling because it let me be able to focus on something and get better at it. And each time I did it, I'd realise that I'm actually getting better at something rather than just yeah giving up and not doing well at something. So have you been able to take that learning into other classes? Yeah, I mean I've taken it into maths with things that with equations that I can't do. If I can't do them, I'll either ask for help or just keep practicing them. 
And so what's one thing that you, if you could only tell what parents and, um, and other teachers, what's one thing you'd really like them to know about building mental fitness? I think the biggest thing is just that relationship and that wanting someone to learn is not the same as needing them to succeed academically. I think um, teaching, teaching the effort rather than the outcome is probably mm. the number one thing that um, I would put forward. And, and to make it fun, to have fun with it, because if you're having fun, the students are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what advice would you give to teachers wanting to teach a course? I think go evidence-based strategies. I listened to Dr. Matthew White, who was teaching over in Australia, and he said, if you go evidence-based, you can't go wrong. And um, I think I've taken that to heart, and and our results show that as well. Mm-hmm. I think keep it as practical as you possibly can and keep the students moving inside, outside, up, down, on the floor, um, because all of that challenges what they think school is, and it lifts engagement. Nice, nice. Thank you. Now, as we come to a close, I have two more questions for you. So if you could only do one thing for the rest of your life to support well-being in other people, what would it be? Having the time to really listen to people um, and to make eye contact and smile um, no matter who they are or how I know them. I think that would be the greatest thing we could probably all do for each other. Oh, gorgeous. Thank you. Um, And what's your go-to strategy for boosting your own well-being when you feel frustrated or down? My favorite well-being strategy is to go for a walk at the beach with a good friend of mine and just wander and have a chat and have that company and go out and enjoy that I'm sitting on the other side of the Pacific Ocean um, and just think about the the breadth of the world. Mm -hmm. Nice. So, so there's awe in there and elevation and relationship and natural beauty. Yeah. I like to, I get a, a big hit for my hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot yeah. going on. Great. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Adrian. Thank you for sharing your work with us. It's really great to hear how this program is working for boys and, um, One of the things I'm really excited about is how you've gone to them. It's designed to meet the boys where they are and work with them um, on the kind of stuff we know they're going to be interested in. So the program is working and judging by the measures you've used, it's and the feedback from the boys and their parents. It's been a huge success. So congratulations and congratulations to Otago Boys, too. Um, I want to salute them on their commitment to expanding this work next year. So in 2019. So thank you very much very much for being here with us and um, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks Denise. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. If you'd like to learn more, our book The Educator's Guide to Whole School Wellbeing is available from nziwr.co.nz from early 2020. You can also listen to a podcast of this show on oar.org.nz, on nziwr.co.nz, and you can also subscribe to Apple Podcasts. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. This program has been brought to you by the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience. For more information on how schools, communities and workplaces can grow their wellbeing and resilience, go to nziwr.co.nz.